0: Amen. Good morning, church. How we doing? Good so, you know, I have to say it, right? After last week's sermon. He is risen. <laughs> if I didn't say it, I'd be like, you know what a hypocrite that guy is. Welcome to Grace Hills. My name is Simon. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, for those watching online, thanks for watching online. Uh, glad you've joined us. Glad we could provide that for you. And would just encourage you, if you have the ability, we'd love for you to come back, worship with us in person. So we miss you. We want to hug you. We miss you. Um, we have just finished Easter. We had just finished Good Friday. It was like a whirlwind of just excitement and fun things that were going on. And um, But here we are. Like I promised, we're gonna start a new series. We're in the book of Jonah. Um, I've done this series before a long time ago and uh, I remember going, it was great. And I, then, now I'm restudying it and rewriting everything and I'm like, oh there's just so much that I miss. It's so deep. Um, a lot of Bible scholars would say that this is a book that is like a literary masterpiece. And there is something so concise and so um, powerful about the book of Jonah that you see so many things. And I, I'll just tell you up front, I am not going to plumb the depths of this book. You're like, but it's only four chapters. I'm only doing three verses today. That's as far as I'm going to make it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But as I was reading through it, as I was thinking about it, and I thought, how, how do I need to start this off? And I thought, man, it just reminded me of a moment that I had my senior year of high school. I remember um, I had been going to the church for a while. I started going to church about halfway through my eighth grade year, really started getting involved when I was a freshman in high school. And I remember I was, I was kind of doing all the stuff. I was going to youth group twice a week, and um, I had been there for about three years at this point. I was going to the camps and the activities, uh, going on missions trips. I remember I bought my first pile of fireworks in Mexico, thanks to the church. So you're like, that's illegal. Yeah, I know. It was and still is. Um, But I would like do the Christmas performances and all the skits and all the... Because like in the 90s, you had to do skits up front. That was like a thing. So I did all that. And I was kind of a really known quantity at the church. People knew who I was and some for the better and some for the worse. But I was really involved. But there was this other thing that was going on at the time. And and the thing that was going on is that I was still kind of living out of my old life. I was still kind of doing a lot of the same things, thinking the same way, participating in the things that I used to participate in before I was saved. And I was still hanging out with my non-Christian friends. And before you go too far that, you should hang out with non-Christian friends. You should have them as friends where you can be a light to them but I was partaking in the activities that those non-Christian friends were doing as well. And I was really just kind of living this life that was, let's just be honest, was super hypocritical. I knew knew God's word enough to know what it said, and I knew that my life wasn't living that out. And I would do goofy things like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to make these arbitrary lines that I'm not going to cross, but then still do all this other junk so I feel good. I'm like, look, I'm a good person. I won't do that, but I'll do all this other junk. And I remember I I wasn't honoring God in so many different areas. And I wasn't honoring God with with, uh, girls that I was dating. I, I was there for the wrong reasons. And I remember there was this really defining, distinct moment in my life. And I was, I was at my house, and, and something had happened. I kind of just got to get some, get some air. I walked outside. I walked across the street of Blossom Hill Road in San Jose, California. And I was just sitting on, like, one of those big poles and just going, God, what is going on? What am I doing? Like, I knew what I, what I was doing was, was dishonoring God by saying that I'm a believer. And I was like, I got to make a decision here. I need to either be all in or I just gotta be all out. And you would say, well, you were doing all the stuff, Simon. I said, yeah, but my heart wasn't there, I didn't really care. And I remember kinda of going, God, I, if you're real, you need to show up. And if you're not real, that's fine, I'll just go back to doing what I was doing before, and I'll just call this a wash, and we can all be good, and I can be on my way. Because I was really tired of feeling guilty all the time. I was tired of feeling all the shame of how I was living. And I thought, well, if I just stopped doing that, then the shame would go away. But we all know that that's not true. And I said, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of stop hanging out with those friends that are leading me into areas that I shouldn't be going. And I'm going to just get involved and just pour myself into the church. If you're real, just show up. And he did. And as I started to engage the church I realized that God showed up and God showed me who he was. He showed me the love of the church. He showed me what it looked like to walk with God. He showed me what it looked like when I... When I pour God's Word over my life, when I'm in His Word, when I'm studying His Word, when I'm in fellowship, when I'm in discipleship. And He started changing me. He started showing me things about my life that I never understood. He started introducing me to the right people that were uh, important in my life. I met my wife at that time. God started giving me purpose and meaning, using my gifts and abilities. And, And I'll tell you this, if it was a different decision that took place that night and I decided to keep running from God, because let's be honest, that's really what i I was doing. I wasn't giving them all my life. I was running the opposite direction. I wouldn't be where I am today. I don't know what my life would look like because I was in a spot where I was going to shipwreck my life. And I had bounced across a bunch of rocks on the process to get there. And you may be wondering, Simon, why are you even sharing? Is this like your therapy session where you just kind of get all your stuff out of your system? It's a little therapeutic and it helps. But that's not why I'm doing it. I tell that story because this is where we are as we enter into our new five-week study in the book of Jonah. Now, as you think about Jonah, if you're really old, you'll think of flannel graphs. If you're really young, you're like, what's a flannel what? So I just want to know who I'm dealing with in the room when I say things like that. And it may stir up these stories of like, oh, it's a big fish or it's a bunch of weird sailors or it's this really jacked up city. Oh, you just, it brings up a lot of stuff. And maybe you're like, ah, it's a great fairy tale. It's a great story. Or, or maybe it's just kind of like those Greek gods which are, which are meant to teach us how to live a good life and learn a life lesson. But I want to tell you that this story, these four chapters is a part of a bigger story. And I've used this term before that we use the term meta-narrative. This big idea that there's one giant story and all of these little stories in the Bible connect to the big story and explain the big story that's going on. And, and this book of the Bible is one of those books that is just this beautiful, concise picture of God and what he's doing, how he is a God that pursues and chases after those that are lost, those that can't help themselves. And he, he, he shows his grace And his mercy to all that would call on the name of the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the very middle, in the heart of the book, there is this statement that says, salvation belongs to the Lord. That is a key theme that everything's going to revolve around. And we're going to look at a few different characters as we jump in. But the cool part about this book is this this book is really an open-ended question into our lives. The book actually ends on a cliffhanger. Like there's this question that's poised and then it's not answered because it's meant to look at our life, look at our heart, what we see in ourselves, what we understand about God and what He's doing in His great master plan. And what's going to happen is things that we think should happen don't happen. And things that we don't think should happen do happen in this book. It's a book that's kind of upside down. And that's the idea that we worship a God who turns everything upside down because he is a God with tremendous love. And so with that, we're going to cover three whole verses today. And you may think that's going to be short. Boy, if you're new, I have bad news for you. <laughs> um There's a couple ways to follow along. I'm going to read right out of Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. If you have a Bible, please follow along, highlight, make notes, do all that stuff. If you don't have a Bible, would love to give you one. They're in the back. Free gift to you. Please take it. Uh, just, Just use it. That's all we'd ask. Or if you really want, just follow along and see what God has written down. Here we go. of the Lord let's go ahead and pray and jump into what God would have for us this morning Lord Jesus I just ask that this morning you would go before me that as you have been working on the hearts of the men and women that have been coming here I don't know where they're coming from I don't know what they're going through I don't know what's going to resonate with them but Lord I ask that you would speak through me in a way that would that would connect your word to their heart to their life to where they are that they would see the powerful truths of who you are how much you love, how much grace you extend, how we are all desperately in need of you and we have fallen away from you and that we, we need you to save us, Lord. I ask that you would do something like that this morning. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Holy Spirit, Is there's anything that I have written down that's not from you, please take it from my notes, take it from my mouth and take it from my mind. Don't let me be a distraction, but let you be glorified in all things. I pray this in your son's glorious name, amen. All right, the book starts with the word now. You're like, that's great, Simon, you can read. Hooked on Phonics worked for you. The the word now is there, it's actually important because what it's doing is it's saying this is a real event that took place. It's not a fairy tale, it's not an analogy, it's not an allegory, but this is real. The word used there in that culture, in that time now, would be very similar to us saying something like, in the year of 1976, these events took place. It's saying this is real, this happened, right? So he's laying that down right off the bat so we would know that this is a real thing. But luckily the Bible gives us more information that's going to hone in that this is a real historical event. I've talked to people that said, that's a great children's story, that's a great kid's story. Uh, But if you know the story, it's not a kid's story. It's like saying um, the the Noah's Ark is a kid's story and then we decorate our kid's room with that. I'm guilty of that, by the way, just so you know, I, I did that I'm all, that was the worst day in the world and we made it a kid's room. Anyway, I digress. But what we see is that Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings 14 through 25. I'm not going to read all of it, but it's basically the word of the Lord. It says this, um, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. Okay, so he's in the book of 2 Kings, which is important for us to realize because it's a historical thing. We also know that Gath Heifer is actually really close to Galilee. So Jonah, kind of his stomping ground was where Jesus grew up and did a majority of his ministry. So we're already talking about a real time and a real place that this took, this took place. Now, Jonah was there and the place and the rule of the reign of the king at that time was Jeroboam II. Let me just do this without going into a ton of history. Bad king, not good, tons of sin, tons of rebellion, tons of false idols, tons of rejection of who God and his way of God's people. So not a great king. So 2 Kings puts us in the right time bracket with the right king and the right event. So again, not a made up story. Now, the other place where we see this take place is actually really interesting. If you want to, like, where else is Jonah mentioned? Well, oddly enough, Jesus references Jonah. And so... Uh, if you go to Matthew 12, 38 through 42, I'm not going to read all of it. I'll kind of paraphrase it out and kind of reference a couple of sections. But basically, the scribes and the Pharisees are saying, are you really the Messiah? Are you really from God? If you are, I want you to show me some kind of miracle. You've got to prove it to us. And Jesus is like, No. This evil and wicked generation will not receive a miracle, will not receive a sign. The only thing that it'll get is the sign given to you by the prophet Jonah. And then he says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So as he is being challenged on him being the Messiah, him being the Christ, what does he use to authenticate that? Jonah. He references a real event in a real time. He references the fact that there was this fish, that he wasn't the fish for three days and three nights. And then he says, but I am going to do something even greater. If you thought the salvation of this land so far ago was really big and really great, I am going to blow your doors off. I am going to offer salvation for the entire world for forever. And instead of a fish, I will go to the grave, but then I will come out of the grave conquering sin and conquering death like we talked about last week. That's what he's saying. So Jesus is speaking about Jonah. Second Kings is speaking about Jonah. He really came. He was really here. You're like, well, that's, that's just too big of a miracle for me to believe. There's a lot of other crazy stuff, way bigger than a dude getting swallowed by a fish, in the Bible before this happens. Like, it's nuts. Like, chariots of stuff. Like, oh, there's all sorts of weird things going on. Like, giant floods and, you know, like... This is, this is crazy. So if this is where you get hung up, this is not a big deal. Like, we got a guy who rose from the dead. That's kind of bigger, right? But as we read through, you get this verse in, in Jonah, and it says this, which I think is good. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Why is that important? Well, we see that God is going to speak to his people. Think about that. God is going to speak to his people. There's, there's a powerful idea behind that. I want to read a couple of verses to show that this is not just something that we're making up in. Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. And then in Hebrews, it starts off this way. It's a great way to start the book of Hebrews, verses uh, chapter 1-2. one through 2. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And then in John, we see it says this, uh, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. There's a theme here, isn't there? That God speaks to his people, that he loves his people, that he cares about his people, that he's engaging his people. God is not a distant God. God is not a far off God. I don't know where you came from, what you've been taught, but I am going to continually show you that God cares about you. He cares about your life. He cares how you live and he wants to be engaged with his creation because he loves you. You need to hear that because here's the thing. If he didn't care about you, he would just ignore you. He wouldn't be a part of your life. He wouldn't give you his word. He wouldn't talk to you. He doesn't let us aimlessly walk around this world trying to figure it out. You know how dangerous it is to walk around in a pitch dark room? It's really dangerous. It's not super safe. Does that, is that God? No, but we see that God walks with us. He corrects us. He sheds light in a dark world so we can understand who he is and what he's about and what he's doing. He doesn't want us to live in a way that's going to be dangerous to us. So then in that first verse, we get introduced to the name of the man the book is titled by, which is Jonah. Jonah. Jonah's a minor prophet, I I believe he's the fifth minor prophet, and he lived around 793 to 753 BC. Now, interestingly enough, every name in the Bible has a meaning, and those meanings actually have a lot of importance as you study those. Uh, Anyone know what Jonah's name means? It is Dove, yeah. I was like, I didn't know that. I learned something this week, and you're smarter than me. You should come up here. Um, It means Dove. Now... There's two ways to look at this. I know which way I lean towards. But if we look at dove, you would probably think of or be drawn to the idea that the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, right? And the idea, and we've talked about this in Acts as we've gone through it, the sole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to point towards Jesus Christ. It's to highlight what he has done. That is the point of the Holy Spirit. Everything pushes towards Jesus. The Holy Spirit's not trying to exalt himself, he's trying to exalt Jesus. That's what he does. And the message of salvation that God offers through Jesus, right? So that's one, so some would say, oh, well Jonah's like that as well. He's bringing the message of salvation to those that would hear who God is so that's that's one way to look at it and, and it's totally valid if that's how you want to see that but there's another way that you can look at this and that comes out of the book of Hosea if you know the book of Hosea it's a rough book we'll get there someday we will study it I've done it once before it's a tough book Hosea seven eleven says this Ephraim which is another name for Israel okay is like a dove oh, that's very pretty that's very nice Silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. You're like, well, that's not nice. If you've ever seen doves, they're kind of to and fro and back and forth and all over the place. They can't make up their mind. They're not always with a firm, solid direction. If you've been to a wedding, they've released doves, and they're like, and they just stop. They're like, that dove is dumb. It has no idea what it is. It didn't even fly away like it was supposed to. You have one job dove, fly away. And it's, it's talking about this time when Israel was, they were, he, they were being judged by God because they had really broken the the, uh, the covenant they made with Moses, right? The Mosaic Covenant, that's the word I'm looking for, I couldn't get that out. And really what they were doing is God saying, no, you, you are to love and worship and honor and follow me, and they weren't. And so what's happening is God was judging them as a nation because they weren't following and submitting and worshiping God. And so at times, God would send these other nations to do these things. And so they were exposed and they were vulnerable. Where they should have found their security and their protection in God, they started to seek that out in other places. And if you look at where they were seeking it out, it's kind of hilarious. Anyone remember like the Israelites in Egypt and kind of how that worked out? Like they were their slaves and they had to get freed from them? Like they were in slavery, in bondage, like, well, let's make a treaty with the people that we just got freed from. Oh, no, let's go to the Assyrians and let's make a treaty with them. And we're going to get to the Assyrians in a few minutes. But the idea was is that they were trying to make these treaties. They were trying to make these allegiances at the same time with these two people that actually were against each other. They're like, well, we'll just see how it plays out. i will go to an allegiance with both of you. They were like a dove, silly, wandering around, not knowing what to do with themselves. And we see that during that time, Jonah was a prophet, and the kings would call the prophets in at times to communicate a message to them. They would always see God, is God behind this? Is God going to give us favor? And Jeroboam was trying to do some stuff at that time, and so he calls in Jonah, and Jonah actually says, God's with you, it's going to be good, it's going to be great, Why? He wanted to look good in the eyes of the king. That actually wasn't God's word for him. He's like, well, how do you know that wasn't God's word? Because there were other prophets wandering around at that time communicating God's word as well. Amos was a prophet as well. And Amos came in and he's like, "Uh uh-uh. God's justice will go against you because of your sin and your rebellion. You will not succeed. You will not do well. As a matter of fact, God is judging you right now because you refuse to repent of your sin. And so, right off the bat, we find out that Jonah, he is not the best prophet. He's not the greatest guy. I actually toyed with the idea of calling this Jonah the worst prophet. That was going to be one of the titles, but I I used better judgment instead and didn't do that. So, maybe you're new and you're like, I don't know what a prophet is, Simon. You're using words I don't understand. What is a prophet? A prophet is someone that God would choose to communicate his message primarily to the Israelites at this time about how to align themselves back with God. So they would, he would correct them and say, God says that you are in sin, you need to repent. God says you should do this. God's going to give you favor here. If you do this, it'll go well. If you don't do this, it won't go well. And so basically they became a mouthpiece for God. They spoke for God to the people so they would know what God would want them to do. And that's who they were. That's what they did. And so Jonah is now given a message in verse 2, and he says this, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Okay. The first thing we need to do is ask, who and where is this place called Nineveh? What is a Nineveh? Nineveh was about 500 miles northeast from Israel. It was on the east bank of the Tigris River, and it would have been what we call modern-day Iraq. That's really where Nineveh is. That's where it's located. It was a huge city. It was a massive city. Archaeologists have been doing digs and they are finding more and more of this city and where it's at, how big it was, the circumference of the area, the surrounding cities around it. And they have actually found that it is somewhere around 60 miles long. It's a huge city. The walls in some places were over 100 feet tall. That's a big wall. You think Trump's wall, that's a big wall. 100 feet tall in some places, but then it said that they were not just tall, they were wide as well. Somewhere up to 30 feet wide. As they would do, they would record different areas, they talk about the walls, that you could line three chariots up side by side and ride them down on top of the wall. I want to know how do you get a chariot and a horse up there? That's my question. But that's how big the walls were. They had over 1,000 guard towers along the wall. Some would say 1,500 guard towers that were positioned all around the city. Now we know that we had at least 120,000 people there. Some of the estimations based on how they counted numbers and what they did were had the population in the millions. Massive, huge city. It was one of the biggest, if not the biggest city in that, in that day and in that age. Now, who are the Ninevites. That's the question. It's a city that was made up of the Assyrian people. Not Syrian, Assyrian people. Now, the Assyrians were in great power from around 800 BC to about 625 BC. And let me tell you something. They defeated everyone. They ruled that world during that time. They were the biggest superpower that existed. And they were used at times to judge Israel. They had judged Israel before that already at different ways because of their sin and rebellion against God. Now, I, I want to say this. I need to be careful with this next section as I talk about the Assyrians. And here's why. You may know me. You may know my family. You may know that I married an Assyrian. You also may know that I have three Assyrian children. I'm outnumbered. So anything that I say up here, there are ramifications. And knowing the history of the Assyrian people, I'm afraid. (laughs) There are serious problems that exist in my home if I do this wrong. But I will persevere for the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to say this as a disclaimer. And, 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 And hear me on this. And this is a big part of what God's saying to Jonah in this story. Every nation in every generation has its fair share of horrible atrocities that it has committed in times of war and battle. Every single nation has done horrible, horrific, wicked things. You need to understand that, okay? It's not that one is better than the other and we're not going to play this pecking order of like, well, this murder is good and this murder is bad. Like, we're not doing that. It's bad, Right? And this really will become the heart of the issue of Jonah as he thinks that there is this uh, higher righteousness than everyone else. And, And we need to understand that. But I will say this. The Assyrians were really, really good at winning wars and keeping people under control. Ain't no joke there. They were really good at it. They had mastered to some extent and and really kind of invented the idea of psychological warfare and fear when it came to battles. The things that they would do, the things that they would commit to other places they were conquering would be written down all over the place and everyone would hear about it and it would be circulated all throughout that time and that age. Every king kind of had their new flair and their new twist on how they would continue that psychological warfare of what they would do. So one king loved to cut off hands and feet of people. So they'd capture them, they'd conquer them, they'd cut off their hands and their feet. You can't walk, you can't do anything, you're really a non-threat. And so that was a way, and they kept them alive. Like, just so you know, like those people were conquered by us, they can't do anything, they can sit there and they can kind of beg and that's about all they can do. One king loved to humiliate people by cutting off their lips so they couldn't speak properly and they couldn't drink. And so they wouldn't be able to talk and communicate the way they were supposed to. and They looked foolish wherever they would go. One guy, uh, he was really into ripping off the ears of people. So he'd rip off ears of people while they were still alive. One guy, um, he made a sport of skinning people alive. That was his thing. And then to show the people that he had conquered, he would hang those skins all over the walls of the kingdom to know that they had conquered them and they had done that. And then another king, he just really liked cutting off hands and that was probably the best way to go if you're gonna go. He would cut off their heads, but then he would put huge piles in front of the cities that they had conquered, the villages and the towns they had conquered, saying this, if you oppose us, if you try to face us, the same fate awaits you. It is said at times that when people heard that the Assyrians were coming to go to battle against them, lots of people would commit suicide because it was easier to commit suicide than go through the atrocities that awaited them because of them. These are the kind of things that would make Hitler blush. The people of God, God's people, had seen these atrocities. They had seen these things take place. And so he's called to take this message to this city. You may ask, so, how do you know all these things? Are you just, is this just some folklore? Here's the thing you need to understand they documented all the things that they did. They believed that they were serving their gods and it was their religious duty to do these things. So not only did they talk about them, they were proud of what they did. They wrote all of their documentation down. And then, in case you didn't understand the full picture, they actually made pictures on walls that depicted all of these things that they did. I looked at them this week. They're crazy. And guys without hands, guys without heads, guys with their ears getting rid re- of, it was crazy what they, what they would do. And so they really believe that this is what it looks like. And they think, how could anyone do something like that? Let me tell you this. Sin has no boundaries. This is what happened when sin enters the world. You think, well, I would never, we are all just a few steps away from being just as wicked and evil as anyone that we read about. You need to understand that. Just because we wear nice clothes and we sit here in a nice row doesn't mean that we're not capable of these atrocities as well. I was talking with my friend this week. And he was like, I've been in church my whole life. My dad was a pastor. And I always, he's like, I always hated the book of Jonah. I'm like, why do you hate it? Jonah was a mean guy. He wasn't nice. And he just didn't listen to God. He's all, and then someone told me why he didn't want to go there and he didn't want to preach that. He's all, and it all kind of made sense. I mean, think about this. God wasn't saying, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh and just say, you're real evil. You're going to die. That's that's really not the message. was, you're evil, repent. And Jonah didn't like that. He didn't want to partake in that. He didn't want that grace, that mercy extended to them. He didn't want to see them saved because they had done such horrible, wicked things. But yet God is saying, go and communicate to them repentance. You think that's not going to stir up emotions in Jonah's heart? You don't think that Jonah knew people that he loved that were related to him that had been murdered by the hands of the Assyrian people? You don't think he heard the stories? You don't think he saw the judgment? He knew that. He's not dumb. He knew what God was doing. And I'll say this, and as horrible as those things are, that never gives us a reason or a right to disobey God. This command would have been the worst news I think that he could have heard. And so what we hear is God, we hear Jonah's response in verse 3 the man of God, the prophet of the Lord, the giver of truth, the obedient servant of the Lord, this is how he responds in verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So he did what he was told. He arose. And then he ran. He ran. That's what he did. Uh, It says that he went to Joppa. Joppa was a port town, and actually the word means beautiful. Usually port towns have a lot of beauty with the sea and the ocean and everything. That's that's a cool thing. But he was going to Tarshish. He's like, "What's, what's a Tarshish? I can barely say the word. It would have been the furthest known place in the known world at that time. And so really people thought that Tarshish was the end of the world. It was like it's flat, it's the end of the world, and so it's just one more step and you're done. That's really what it was. And so he's like, I am, and this is where it gets really crazy. So by the way, Tarshish would be modern day Spain. So about 2,500 miles away from Joppa, from Israel, and from Nineveh, right? It was really far away. So here's what's crazy. It's not just, I'm not gonna do what you say. It's not just, I'm just gonna sit here and do nothing. I am going to literally get up and go out of my way to go as far away as possible from the place that you've called me to go, so there's no way that I can possibly get that message to them. Literally, the opposite direction. The end of the world as he would have known it, and he's on. if it's the end of the world, if you keep trying to give me to do it, I'll just jump off the end. That's really where he had gone, but then it gets, but here's what, it's worse than that. Why is it worse? to flee from the presence of the Lord. Not only do I not wanna do what you're calling me to do, I don't even, even wanna be around you, God. I don't want you near me, I don't wanna to talk to you, I don't wanna be involved with you. And he's re- rejecting God completely as what he's doing. Here's the funny part, he's a prophet of the Lord. He knows God's word, right? You would assume the prophet of the Lord knows God's word. Do you think he would've known Psalm 139, seven? Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If i make my bed in Shiloh, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell to the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. He, He knows you can't flee from the Lord, but yet he's going to try real hard. So he buys a ticket, hops on a ship to anywhere but Nineveh, And then we read that story and go, that's funny. That's just some ancient text. It'd be nice if the Bible applied to me at some time. Because we don't ever run from God. We don't ever hear God's word, see what it says, what he's called us to, and then do the exact opposite, do we? That's another church. That's not us. We do this all the time. We read God's word, we hear what it says, but yet we choose to do what we want because at the end of the day, when you don't obey God, you're saying, I know better. We're so foolish, and I say we because that's me as well. We all do it all the time. This is just like me when I was in high school thinking that I had it all figured out, I could play this double life. And I kept running from God, not submitting to him, not following him, not listening to him. Pursuing what I wanted because I thought that my ways were right. And I look back and I go, what a foolish person I was. My buddies and I were talking this week and we're just talking about like the decisions that kids make and we're like, (laughs) they got a lot of spunk and energy, but not all the marbles upstairs yet. Not my kids, other kids. Clearly. Not my kids. They're Syrians. So... <laughs> See, here's the thing. God knows what life apart from Him looks like. He knows that it's disaster. He knows that it leads to death. He knows that left to our own devices, we will make a shipwreck of our life. Can you think back to times in your life where you were making all the choices in your life and you go, that didn't work out that well. That didn't go the way that I was hoping. As a matter of fact, that went really, really poorly. If I have a do-over, I'd do the do-over right there. Anyone? Just me? Just me. Great. See, God... God cares for us so much because he realizes that sin separates and that we don't have the ability to carry the weight of that sin. We can't bear it. It's too much for us. And so he calls us back to him constantly. And what you're going to see in this story is a God that pursues, a God that chases after. And and, and here's something you just kind of need to understand. This book is going to expose Jonah's heart, and there's two, there's these two crazy things happening here. You've got these really wicked, immoral people that need God, and I would say to this, you're never too far gone from God's grace. You're never too far for God to reach into your life and to change you and save you. I don't care who you are. I, I talked with a, a young man yes uh, last week, and he asked me this like this great question. So you talk about God's grace and forgiving sins, and his question was. Could God forgive Hitler? That's a great question. That's a great question. And the answer is yes. God's grace is big enough to forgive him if he confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. You're like, I don't like that. Well, then you are in good company because Jonah doesn't either. And that's the reality. And if, if you're a Christian, I want you to hear this. We're not better than anybody else. And that's the problem that Jonah had, that he thought he was better than another nation. And his sin was self-righteousness. God loves me because I do these things. God loves me because I'm an obedient guy. You know what sin does? Sin ruins everything. It makes bad things horrible, and it makes good things bad. Like, I want to be righteous. Sin makes that bad. Sin ruins that if it's attached to us. If it's based out of us and what we do, it then becomes a problem. It's only through the righteousness of God that we can even have any hope in this life. See, Jonah was running from God because of his heart, and he didn't want to listen. There was a darkness in his heart, and we're going to see more of it. But yet God keeps chasing after. God keeps pursuing. I, I want to I say this to you. I don't know where you are in your walk. I don't know if you've even started your walk with Jesus. If you're running from God, I would, I would call you to turn back to God and run towards him. There is nothing worse than running from God. It is always better to run towards God, towards the arms of the loving God of the universe who cares for you deeply. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. God's grace is big enough to forgive anything in your life. Anything. Anything. Maybe you're a Christian like, like I was in high school and I was just trying to do what I wanted to do and I'd show up on church on Sunday. I'm like, oh, I'm a good Christian. Look at me. And then the rest of the week I was like, who's that guy? Maybe that's you. Maybe there's something in your life that you are pursuing that you believe is worth everything that you hope, so, that you hope it'll be good. You hope it'll bring fulfillment. You hope it'll bring joy. You hope it'll bring pr- pleasure. You hope it'll bring some kind of peace to your life. I'm telling you, it won't. It doesn't. It never does. I'm calling you, repent of that today. Reject that. Lay that at the foot of the cross. Our God is, if he can forgive Jonah, if he can forgive the Ninevites, if he can, even sailors, you're like, I'm a a sailor. He can forgive you too. He can do that if you lay that down because here's the big spoiler. You're like, why did we call this the God who loves enemies? Every title's got a reason. It's not just because we need words up there. Because Nineveh is an enemy of God. The sailors are enemies of God. Jonah is an enemy of God. And we are enemies of God. But we have a God that loves his enemies and pursues them greatly. Repent is just a big fancy word that means stop and turn the other direction. And it really kind of falls in line with what we're talking about today, right? It's about running towards God. So if you're running away from God, pursuing sin, pursuing something you know you shouldn't, repent, turn the other way, and run towards God. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to open your word. I'm, I, just, I love this book, but at the same time, I feel just as convicted as everybody else. That there are areas in my life that I need to stop running away. I need to run towards you. Lord, I ask that you would convict this morning. I ask that you would open eyes. I ask that the men and women here today would actually ask that question, where am I running from you, God? And then they would just be, they'd be silent and they would listen. And as you bring those things to the front of their mind, Lord, I ask that they would not run away from that, but they would realize that you love us enough to call us out on our sin because we are headed towards destruction if we continue to run away from you. Lord, we know that we're broken. We know that we're, we, we know there's nothing good in us. So we ask that we would run towards you, that you would forgive us of our sins. Lord, for those that don't know you, I ask that maybe today would be the day that they would actually turn towards you for the first time and come to know the saving grace of a loving father who pursues, even as we run away, that he chases after us because he knows what's best. We love you. I ask that you would work this morning. and pray this in your name. Amen.